Some of you know that my dad played football at Penn State under Joe Paterno. Um, and uh, part of Joe Paterno's rules for making, and he was kind of an ugly guy too, like, I am so thankful that my mom's standards were, you know, what they were back then to fall in love with that guy. All right. Um, but, but Joe Pa, he had some rules that in order to make the team, you had to pass an endurance test. And that endurance test for the first three years was to run um, a mile and a half in a little over 10 minutes. And he passed that test each of those first three years. And slimmer and slimmer margins as he put on more and more weight. <laughs> um, but his senior year, he changed the test. And instead of having to run a mile and a half, you had to run two half miles back to back with a short break in between. And if you could run that, you had a chance to make the team. You could make the team. So my dad ran the first half mile and had to take the break in between, and during that break, he began to feel himself tightening up. Really hot day, didn't drink enough fluid, and then he had to go and run the second leg, the second half mile, and he began running, and sure enough, he was about a quarter of the way through it, and he just went into complete cramp, just total spasm. He, he was trying to make it, tried to get through it, fell down to the track, you know, kind of got up, and he just started walking off the track. He couldn't make it. Now, Paterno, in his way, decided he was going to try to encourage my dad to finish the race. And he started yelling at him and, and trying to, uh, you know, spur him on towards finishing. And my dad has never really been one to be silent when someone was yelling at him. And so he said back to Paterno, look, if I have to chase a guy for half a mile, he's going to score anyway. So I'm done. Um, Paterno didn't really find the humor in that. And so he threw him off the team right on the spot. He said, Millen, get out of here. You're done. Well, my dad, of course, angry and in his pride, walked away and didn't finish the test. It was thrown off the team. <laughs> now, today we're going to take a little break in our Jonah series, and we are going to look at a passage that I am focusing on with the kids and youth group this year. It's from Philippians chapter 3, and it's all about the importance of pressing on in our faith. And I think this is relevant for all of us, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, and certainly for where we're going, it's relevant for all of us, wherever we are. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to learn a little bit about the importance of pressing on in your faith. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. So pray with me. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your spirit. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would fill me and speak through me and would lead us into your truth now, Lord. Prepare our hearts, soften us, that we would be exhorted by your word this evening. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, before we dive into this passage, it's really important that we get some of the context, just because picking it up in the middle of the book, you can kind of take things out of context. So we need to understand that this was most likely the final letter that Paul wrote to a church. He wrote a couple after this to individuals, Timothy, Titus, etc. But most likely the last letter he wrote to a church. And the main point that he was trying to get across to the Philippians was how to be joyful in any and every situation, no matter what was going on. And in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul is exhorting his readers to rejoice in the Lord and place their confidence in him and not in any of their religious goings-on, that they would rejoice in their relationship with Christ. And then he listed off several very impressive religious accomplishments that he had achieved, and he said that he counted all of those things as nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And that he was willing to give all of that stuff up in order to draw closer to Jesus and to be made more like Christ, to be more perfect in his faith. And it's at this point that we pick up our passage today in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, and we learn that the first thing we need to have in order to press on in our faith is a clear perception of who we are. So verse 12, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, I want us to see right away the gravity of what Paul is saying here. He's not claiming that his conversion has already brought him to his final goal. He is not perfectly Christ-like yet. The word perfect here in the Greek, it means the attainment of complete wholeness and soundness. There is nothing that is missing. It has reached its full potential. And Paul is really careful to add this here at the end of this section because there was a teaching going on even back then, and oh, by the way, it persists through to today, that says that I can become perfect or I am perfect once I trust in Christ. Or through just a little bit of effort on my own, I can go without sin until the Lord calls me home. And Paul is pushing back against that and he's saying, I have not attained this. I'm continuing to press on for it. I'm not there yet. And that's a pretty big deal coming from the man who, at least in my opinion, in the New Testament is the most devout Christ follower we have an example of. And this is being written approximately 30 years after his conversion. And so, 
30 years after Saul, who became Paul, who, who pursued his calling with all of his heart, 30 years after he was converted, he was still seeking after the prize, the prize of being perfectly like Christ. And this is really important for us as we press on in our faith, because if we don't have a clear perception of ourselves, if we don't clearly see that we still have more ground to cover, the race isn't over yet, and we can be deceived and led into sin. 1 John chapter 1 put it this way, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, even though we may have trusted in Jesus Christ to save us and, and, and the instant that we trusted in Christ, we are justified, the Bible says, it uses the word justified, and we are made right with Christ. Don't hear me, don't hear me to not say that. <laughs> We are instantly made right before God when we put our faith in Jesus. But the process of what the Bible calls sanctification does not happen instantly. That process of becoming more like Jesus, becoming more holy, is an ongoing thing that we need to continue to press on and move forward into. Press on here in the Greek, it means to vigorously and uncompromisingly pursue something. We go after it with every fiber in our being, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that sound familiar? What we're supposed to love the Lord your God with, right? That's what pressing on is. You are pursuing that goal with every part of you. And Paul, he loved to use sports metaphors in his letters. He used all kinds of sports metaphors. And this here is a sports metaphor. This word for pressing on was used all the time to describe a runner running the race. Sprinting down the course, past obstacles, over hurdles, towards the finish line. Whether it was a short sprint or a long marathon, especially if it was a long marathon, the runner was said to be pressing on towards the goal. And no runner, by the way, would ever stop in the middle of the race. They would continue to press on. Even if they got cramps, even if they were a little out of shape, even if they were yelled at by their coach, they were far tougher than some Penn State football players, all right? They kept moving forward, pressing on. And, and this isn't something in the Greek that you do just one time or for one race. It's written in a tense that means you're doing it over and over and over again. Every race you run, Every instance that you have the opportunity to move forward towards the goal, you are doing it. Always seeking to become more and more like Christ, recognizing you have not yet arrived. 
there's a story told of an ancient Greek artist. His name is Timanthus. And Timanthus showed a tremendous amount of potential. And so he was apprenticed to one of the great masters, and he began to learn how to hone his skills to paint. And one day he produced this brilliant work of art, and it was exquisite. We don't have pictures of it, but there are people who have written about it, that it was, it was a glorious painting. And Timanthus would go, and he would sit in front of his painting and stare at it and marvel at the work that his hands had created. One day he woke up, and he went to go and see the painting, and it was destroyed. Someone had come along and completely ruined it. And he broke down in tears, and he cried out, who would destroy such a work of art? And his master came up behind him and said, I did, Timanthus. I destroyed it because it was holding you back. It was very good, but it was not yet perfect. And you have to continue to press forward and hone your craft. Try again. Paint another painting. And he did, and we do have copies of what he painted. We don't have the original, and it's called The Sacrifice of Iphigenia, and it's considered one of the greatest works of art in the ancient world. And I really think that this is exactly the type of mindset that our heavenly master is calling us to have. The Lord doesn't want us ever to become content with our spiritual state, with the place that we are right now. He constantly wants us to press on to deeper and deeper levels of spiritual maturity and service to him, living out the mission that he has given us. Spiritual maturity, and we can encourage it, but we can't rush it. It takes time. It takes time to press on in that maturity into deeper and deeper levels of growth. Of course, we, we, we not only have to see clearly, have the clear perception that we haven't arrived yet, but we also have to see the flip side of it, that we do belong to God. We are children of God, and therefore, we have a hope, and we have a finish line to be pressing on towards. See, the flip side of this, if the devil can't get you to focus on the good things that you're doing and the spiritual accomplishments that you have, then he's going to try to flip the script on you and he's going to get you to try to focus on the fact that you'll never get there. I'll just, I'll never be able to do this. It's too far, it's too hard, it's too much. I'm just, God doesn't love me. I could never please him. I, I'm not good enough. I've done too much already in my life. I'm too hurt. I'm too damaged. Those are all lies. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've recognized that Christ is the Messiah, he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and he came to redeem this world from sin, 
He lived a perfect life, died as a sacrifice for the world, and didn't stay dead. He overcame death, rose again to life, and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, reigning over creation. If you have accepted that and put your trust in that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you are a child of God and you have a future hope in eternity with Christ that can never be taken from you. No matter what has gone on, no matter what lies the devil is whispering into your ear, you are a child of God and your identity is as a new creation in him. And you now have been given the invitation and the call to participate in God's mission to redeem this fallen world. And we can joyfully and thankfully serve him as we walk in that call through the power of his spirit. That's the gospel. And that is what we are in Christ. So we can't listen to the negativity of the enemy just as much as we can't be content with our spiritual progress. That's why Paul says here that I am striving to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. We belong to Christ. That, that Greek phrase, to make it my own, it's actually one word in the Greek. It means to seize eagerly, to grab hold of and never let go. It's like a football player reaching out and making an amazing catch and pulling it in and not letting go of the ball. That's what Christ has done to us when we put our faith in him. And we are called to turn around and seize on to the hope that we have in him and the call that we have to become more and more mature and be like our big brother. That is what we are called to do. Doesn't mean that we're perfect yet, but it means that one day we will be when God calls us home to be with him in eternity. But until that day, we continue to press on towards that high calling. So we've got to have a clear perception. We've got to see ourselves clearly. We're not there yet, but we are children of God, and we're going to get there, and we walk in that confidence. So we have a clear perception, but we also have to have an understanding of the clear process of what it means to actually press on. And so we turn back to our passage in verse 13. We pick it up. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. There's that word, seize. Haven't, haven't fully grasped it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
But if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Paul says, there's one thing that I do. You want to know what I do in my ministry, and my walk? There's one thing. It's just one thing. I press on towards the prize. And there's two components. There's two parts of that process. There's forgetting what lies behind, and there's straining forward to what lies ahead. And so first we look at forgetting what lies behind. The word forgetting here means to choose not to recall something or to give little attention to something, like I'm I'm ignoring it. And like the other verbs in this scripture, it's in a continuous present tense. I'm doing over, it's my constant mindset. My constant mindset is to just let it in the past, to let it go. That's figuratively, it means you're not dwelling on the past. Now, I want us to recognize here that forgetting doesn't mean, it does not mean erasing the memory, hitting the delete button and pretending that it never happened. That is not what forgetting is biblically. It means choosing not to dwell on it. Because Scripture actually calls us to times of remembrance, doesn't it? I mean, Paul, just a couple verses earlier in this chapter, recited a whole list of things that happened in his past. When he said he counted them as nothing. That's the mindset of choosing to forget, of choosing to ignore. I count that all as nothing. What we're supposed to do with the past is to look back at it in order to learn from it. And even more than that, to remember God's faithfulness to us in the past, knowing that he will be faithful again in the future. That is how we look back at the past. And the point here is that in order to press onward and forward, we can't be people who just dwell on what is behind us. And again, Paul is evoking the image of a runner. How many of you have ever run a race or watched someone run a race and you heard someone yell out to you, don't look behind you, right? Don't look back. If you got a football, don't look back and see who's chasing you. Don't look back and see what the other runners are doing. Don't look back to dwell on the obstacles that might have tripped you up. You just keep focused forward. And so practically, this means a couple things. It means, first of all, we have got to let go of those past accomplishments. It doesn't matter if I ran and won lots of races before. This is the race I'm in now, and I'm straining forward. I mean, how many of you guys, (laughs) how many of you guys know that guy who's like, you know, Back in 83, my high school football team, state champions, you know, they love to live in those glory days. And you know what, it's, I'm, I'm really glad that you won the state championship 43 years ago. That's, you know, well done. 
But I'm a little more interested to hear, what are you, what are you moving towards now? What, what glory is the Lord pushing you towards now, as opposed to living in that, that past glory? Of course, most of us don't dwell on our past successes. Most of us dwell on our past failures, don't we? And this, this right here is a really big deal. And I cannot do this topic justice in the time that I have. This is very deep, and there's a lot of nuances to letting go of our past failures, our past hurts, our past struggles. And so I'm just gonna kind of scratch the surface on it, recognizing that it's a lot deeper than this. But this is the exhortation that Paul is calling us to. He's telling us that the enemy wants us to become so fixated on our past failures, on the times that we have fallen, on the times that we have made bad choices, on the times that we were wronged, on the times when we were receiving the short end of the stick. It's not always your own mess-ups, is it, that you dwell on? The enemy wants us to dwell on all of those things. And, and let me remind you, let me remind me, <laughs> the things that happened yesterday are in the past. You might be in a very real situation right now, and it very quickly becomes your past. And we are called not to dwell on that. We can't fall into that trap. We've got to focus on what lies ahead of us, knowing that our past does not define you. Your past does not define you. Who you are as a child of God is what defines you. That is your identity. And that is what you confidently march forward knowing and believing. Because the reality is that Scripture says, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And if God has forgotten the sins of his children, shouldn't we be able to choose not to dwell on our own mess-ups or the sins against us. We have to follow the example of our Father and of our big brother who were able to let go, A, God the Father letting go of our sins, and B, God the Son letting go of all the wrongs done against him. They both left it in the past. 
Of course, if you're anything like me, you're saying to yourself right about now, okay, this is great, this is, this is what scripture is exhorting us to. How do I actually do this? And again, here's me just scratching the surface. This is really deep, it's, 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 it's not something that is just, oop, all forgotten. There's a process that we go through, but there is a process that we can go through. And it begins first and foremost, with our confessing. We have to bring into the light the thing that is holding us back. You know, if you do any reading up on shame or regret or fear, anxiety, all of these things that are most of the time caused by things that happened in our past. One of the things that any healing process will involve is stop trying to hide it. Stop trying to pretend it didn't happen. Stop being afraid of what it might cause other people to think about you. You confess it and bring it into the light. First to Lord. We confess it to the Lord, of course, and we repent of that sin. But then we can't be afraid to actually address it to those around us who we love and who we know will support us as we walk away from that past. But it's not always about confessing your own sin. Oftentimes, it's about forgiving the sin that was done to you. And forgiveness is a deep, complex thing. And again, we could, I could preach several sermons on forgiveness. But that is oftentimes where it starts, is learning to let that go. And then next, we learn to rest in the peace and knowledge that A, we are forgiven, or B, I'm, just, I'm letting it go. I've forgiven you. I'm gonna choose not to dwell on that. And if you have any, if you're wondering, okay, how do you do that? It's, again, I, it's not like I can just give you a list, but read through Psalm 32, read through Psalm 51, this is here in David's heart on how he learned to rest in forgiveness. How the Lord forgave him. And I would encourage you to pray through those psalms. Make those psalms your prayer. Really focus and meditate on them. Let that truth transform your mind and your heart and your emotion and, and, and let, it, let it rest in the truth of what that looks like. And next, we need to learn how to change our perspective towards the past. And what I mean by that is, instead of viewing what happened in the past as a failure, which is what the devil will try to get you to do, he will try to get you to believe that it was a complete and utter failure. Instead, we see it as God sees it, 
which is as part of the process of refining us into the purest of gold. It's not a failure. It is something that we learn from. It is something that we have been refined in. It's something that we can look back on and see God's faithfulness through. And it's something that we are no longer ashamed of because the Lord has used it to mature me and grow me so that I can stand and testify to his greatness today. When we learn to shift our perspective on our past, it becomes a lot easier to leave it back there and move forward in the work he has for us. And finally, we do need to learn how to focus on the future. Living in the present, working towards the future, pressing on at all times, and that leads us right to the second step in the process of pressing on here. And that's straining forward to what lies ahead. One thing I do, two steps, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. And this Greek word, it literally means to overextend oneself, to, to stretch out so far and, and, and so far and, and long and wide and however you can need to do it, that you're at the breaking point of, of your muscles. You are reaching with every fiber in your body towards the goal. And again, a word that was commonly used to refer to runners, especially as they strained forward towards the finish line. And it spoke of having an intense, single-minded focus on the goal, and that you gave everything you had to continually move forward towards that goal. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't rest, God gave us the Sabbath so that we could rest, but it means that even in our rest, even in our Sabbath, we are pressing on towards Christ. It might not be physically in that moment as demanding as it typically would be, but we are still pressing on towards the Lord. So remember, this is about pressing on in all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, every part of you, the whole part of you, and so though we may be resting in our strength, we continue to press on in those other areas. We focus on the goal. We strain forward, but we need to stay focused on the goal. And the word here for goal refers to something that your eye is absolutely fixed to. You, you can't you can't take your eye off it. No matter, no matter where you are, you're, you're looking at it. It's, it's just, it's got you grabbed. And it often referred to a target, something that you were aiming at. You just, you weren't going to lose the target or the finish line that you were constantly moving towards. A couple years ago, my family and I, we went on a, a little 5K down at uh, Valley Forge. And it was a beautiful day. 
um, you know, Valley Forge um, Park down there, and uh, we weren't trying to break any speed records. It was just me, my, my four little kids, and we were just going for a nice family stroll. I didn't realize how hilly it was down at Valley Forge. And so my little baby, my baby girl, she was just an infant. I had her strapped to my chest, like in one of those, like, you know, like, I don't know, what are they called? Like, those things, those carrier things. Yeah, some, I don't know, you ladies know. And at about, uh, I don't know, half a mile in, my son Connor, my number three guy, Dad, I can't go any farther. And of course, we didn't bring the stroller because the terrain was too rough for the stroller. So I have Mercy on my chest and I have Connor on my shoulders. And I'm kind of going through. Now, thankfully, I had Rocco Consiglio there with me. Rocco, if you know him, he knows how to talk. He's a good talker. And he's Italian, so he's very, uh, you know, kind of, right? And, and, and he knows a ton about, like, everything and nothing all at the same time. So he's, he's like, talking to me about the, the Revolutionary War and what was going on with Washington at Valley Forge. And I'm walking, I'm like, that's awesome, Rock. <sighs> Keep talking. You know, he's talking. And they had these little monuments all along the trail of, like, Every, about the, and so we were stopping and, and, and looking at these monuments and he was giving me this history lesson and somewhere along the way we got off the trail. We lost the path of the race. And our 5K became like a 10K until we realized that you know, we weren't really near anyone before, but we're really not near anyone now. What is going, well, I think that, I think we're lost. And so we went and tried to find someone, and we did, and they told us where to go, and they sent us in the wrong direction. We got even more lost. And finally, when Rocco stopped talking and started praying, we found the path, we got back on it, and we were literally, and there were like thousands of people in this 5K, the very last people to cross the finish line. And I'm there drenched in sweat, you know. <laughs> they were packing up the finish line when we were, we were like, wait, we're going to cross. <laughs> Here's the thing. As we go through this spiritual journey called life, <laughs> We're going to have burdens that we have to carry. We're going to have people that may drag us down. There's going to be lots and lots of things that are going to distract us. And people and messages who send us in the wrong direction. We have to be able to overcome all of it and stay fixed on the goal straining forward towards the goal. Because once we've put our faith in Christ, we can have confidence as to where we're going. We can't lose sight of that. We keep 
pressing on, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And I couldn't, I couldn't help myself this week. I was writing this and I was like, man, you know what? I gotta put in a clip from Chariots of Fire. It just is, that's the movie for this. And so I wanna watch this little clip from the movie Chariots of Fire, which I think just gives a beautiful visual of what this is supposed to be like. Let's watch this together. Get up. You know, that's a true story. That happened in 1923. And the next year, in 1924, Eric Liddell went on and won the Olympic gold medal. I just, I mean, apart from the pathetic running form that he had, the joy in his face as he ran, and yet the strain and the single-minded focus. I mean, did you see when he got up, he was just fixed on where he had to go even though he had been knocked down. It just so perfectly grabs what we are called to. He would go on not just to win that race, but like I said, 1924, the Olympic gold medal. And that's how it is with us. We continue to press on. And in that movie, he, he, there's a quote that he has. He said this, he says, God made me for a purpose, and he made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That is how it should be with us. As we press on, no matter what we are going through, no matter whether we've been knocked down and we have to get back up again, and we're never going to be kept down, we press on feeling God's pleasure, knowing that we are doing what he has called us to do as we run. And that takes us back to Coach Paterno and my dad arguing about finishing that half mile. You know, as I said, my dad stormed off in his pride and his embarrassment. 
went back to his dorm and consigned himself to not playing his senior year. Joe Pa called him up two days later. And he said, have you had enough time to think about that? I want you to come on back and run it again. And so my dad had to humble himself. And he went back, well hydrated this time, and he passed the test. And not only did he make the team, but he was made the captain of the team. And Joe Pa made an example of his perseverance. That's what God does with us. God takes great pleasure in our pressing on, in our being refined to be more and more like his son, bringing him glory along the way, participating with him in his mission to the world. That's the mindset of the mature believer. That's what Paul says right at the end here. But those of us who are mature think this way. And it's a fun little play on words because mature means perfect. We're none of us perfect. But those of us who are mature need to think and recognize that we're not perfect. Let's be men and women who can forget what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead, knowing who we are in Christ, and feeling God's pleasure as we run. Let's press on towards the prize. Amen?